Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, Cure for Spiritual Laziness. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Now, here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Father, we, we have come to the hospital And you are here. You are Jehovah Rothaker. The Lord who heals. Lord, some of us are not only physically sick, but number of us spiritually sick. And we have come to the right place. You have brought us here. And you are here in accordance with your own promise. If two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Thank God that you are here not to judge us and condemn us. You are here to help us, to heal us, to love us, and to speak kindly to us. O God, Stretch out your hand. Heal us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to speak about the cure for spiritual laziness. And I will speak three points. And the first, of course, is the pastor's confidence in the members of this Hebrew church pastor's confidence and second is the cause for pastor's confidence and finally the pastor's final counsel so confidence cause counsel now we are preaching through the book of Hebrews And we are in chapter 6, 9 through 12. There is a cure for spiritual stupidity, retardation, and laziness. There is a cure for desiring to become a child again. There is a cure for becoming allergic to Christian persecution. The Lord of the church knows our condition. Remember he said to the church of Ephesus, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And this is exactly what you find in today's passage. The house church of the Hebrews has serious problems. We have discussed these problems before. But the truth is that they have not yet become apostates. Some are in danger of becoming 
apostates unless they change and pay heed to the counsel. Some of them have grown cold toward God. But many are still following Jesus Christ faithfully. So the pastor speaks with great confidence in the people of this church. The pastor is confident that the members of his church will not become apostate. Though he has rebuked them severely and given them severe warning to its possibility. He emphasizes his personal confidence in them by using a word, firstly. And we translate, convinced are we. Pepe's method, convinced are we. I have come to a state of persuasion and conviction, of course, based on reasons. So I will translate that verse, convinced are we concerning you, beloved, of better things, things that accompany salvation, even though we are speaking in this severe manner. Pastor has reasons for his conviction. He is sure, he is fully convinced that the Hebrews will be finally saved. And he calls them agapetoi. Now, of course, NIV is wrong in translating dear friends. And NIV takes liberty to say whatever they want in many places. The same word is used by God the Father in reference to his son. And we don't read, you are my dear friend. You are my beloved son. That's the word, beloved. So the pastor is calling them agapetoi, beloved. This word is used in the Bible where God calls his son, beloved. It is a word of great intimacy and affection. And this word is only used once in this epistle. At this point, pastor is saying that all believers in his church are beloved to him because they are beloved to God. They are beloved in the beloved Son. They are accepted by the Father in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and on the basis of his suffering and death for them. The pastor has arrived at his conviction of their eternal security. He says, convinced are we, beloved, concerning you, of better things, things accompanying salvation. Better things. That word appears in this 
letter 13 times better things. In other words, they are not the land that produces thorns and thistles, which he spoke of before. They are not the land soon to be cursed and burned. The pastor is sure of better things. Things that issue in eternal final salvation. Deliverance from all evil. Things that issue not in eternal damnation, but in eternal life. Yes, he has severely warned them of the danger of apostasy. But such warning we can see throughout the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. And let me read to you from verse 1 through 10. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. Notice the language. You have fallen away from grace. By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope for. If Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And then listen to it. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty whoever he may be. And you read about this confidence elsewhere also. Romans 15 and verse 14 you can read. So he is persuaded, he is convinced, he is confident, he is sure of their eternal salvation. Point number two is on what basis? What's the cause? What are the reasons? Reason number one is the very nature of God. For he says, God is not unjust. Verse 10, God is not unjust. That means God is very righteous. Righteousness is, is his very nature. He is not light and darkness. He is light. He is truth. He is justice. Titus 1 verse 2, we read, God who cannot lie. You can rely on him. Malachi 3 6 tells us, God who cannot change. God cannot become unrighteous, unreliable. God justifies the sinner by upholding his law. 
by sending his son, the sinless Jesus, to hell on the cross in his place and as his representative. God doesn't just forgive our sins without reason. So St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God sent his son to the cross to prove his justice so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The nature of God. In Philippians 1 verse 6 we read being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 20 and 21 May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep may this God equip you with everything good for doing his will he equips us he saves us he equips us and then he works in us and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever and we read in Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. And John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He asked you to repent and believe and you repent and believe and he will save you. He's just. To do what he has promised. You meet the condition and he will save you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Let's turn to Psalm 143 and uh, verse 11. Which speaks about the justice of God. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring me out of trouble. In your justice, bring me out of trouble. God is just. That's reason number one for pastor's confidence. Secondly, God does not forget. Thank God that he forgives and forgets our sins deliberately. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah chapter 38. And verse 17, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind his back. It's a deliberate forgetting. Let's praise God for casting all our sins behind God's back. Not before. Isaiah 43. And verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins 
no more. Micah 7 verse 19, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Thank God he forget. When you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there is a list of the heroes of faith, but it is amazing. Not even one sin is recorded there. Abraham, the father of all believers, sinned number of times not recorded forgotten by God so I thank God for deliberate divine amnesia but on the other hand thank God he remembers his children and what we do for him out of love as evidence of our salvation as evidence of the life of God in the soul of man. He remembers. Thank God he doesn't remember. Thank God he remembers. He remembers. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? That's a complaint that God has forgotten me. No, he cannot do that. Turn with me to chapter 49 of Isaiah. And let me read to you from verse 14 through 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Have you said that? I have a number of times. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me, and now God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? The expected answer is no. And have no compassion on the child she has born. Then God says, Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And say, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. And Jesus says in Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head is numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He is committed for your full and complete salvation. God is just. God doesn't forget. And the third reason, of course, is their love and their work. Their history. In Matthew 10, verse 42, we read, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. God remembers your love and your work and your deed. God does not forget our work and love shown to his name. We love God. And so we love our brothers and sisters. And so minister to their needs. And God is aware of it. And there is a reward for what you have done in word and deed. In his name. In your life. Therefore, let me tell you, you cannot be a solo Christian, wandering from church to church, 
what is that expression? Rolling stone. Rolling stone Christian. Pastor Matthew's uh, name for such people. They just roll and roll and roll and roll along. No connection, no relationship, no responsibility, no nothing. You cannot be a solo Christian detached from all his people. The church is likened to a body, a building, and a vine. Many members, but what? One body. A building is built of many living stones, but one building. The branches are united vitally to the vine, Jesus Christ. We therefore demonstrate our love for God by loving and helping God's beloved children, our brothers and sisters. And the church of the Hebrews in its history regularly did this. They ministered to the saints. Turn with me to chapter 10 and beginning with verse 32. Remember those earlier days, you see. At present they have a little problem, but they have a history of demonstrating. A history of showing that they are born of God in terms of their good works. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. They endured severe persecution because of their faith. They suffered public abuse and slander. They suffered loss of their properties. But they kept on believing in Jesus Christ. They stood with those who were being persecuted. And they helped those who were imprisoned. They went and visited them and met their needs. All these are evidences that these people are truly born of God. They did not run away and they did not run away to save their own skins when they faced persecution. And the pastor is saying, God will not what? Forget their past love and deeds shown to the saints in God's name. Not only this loved God and served the people of God in the past. You read the text, it says, you are still doing, you are functioning as deacons, that's the word that is used. You are helping people in, the, in this church. You not only helped in the past, you are doing it now. That is reason that gives pastor confidence that they are truly born of God and persevere to the very end. For sure, not all are doing it, but many are still doing it. They love God and love his people. And they work hard in serving them in their serious need. Thus, they prove to be God's people. Their work and love for God and his saints prove that they are saved. 
their work and their love convince the pastor not only that they are saved but they will be saved finally and they will not become apostate take a look at the book of James that's the next book chapter 2 let me read to you beginning with verse 14 chapter 2 of James what good is it my brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save him suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to him go I wish you well keep warm and well fed but there's nothing about his physical needs what good is it He's a false Christian. He's an apostate. His faith is dead, says James. In other words, our good work is evidence done in the name of the Lord to the people of God. It's evidence that we are born of God. We have the life of God in the soul of man. Turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 3, the same idea, beginning with verse 16, which people don't want to read. My book, The Normal Church Life, will tell you that if you read it. But people don't want to read that. It's too convicting, you see. First John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. Turn to First John chapter 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Let, me un let us understand that. We love because God loved us first. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so this church of the Hebrews, they loved the brothers in the past and they are loving the brothers in the present therefore the pastor is convinced that they are born of God let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus speaks the same thing those on his right Jesus said come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world Matthew 25 beginning with verse 35 for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat verse 37 then the righteous will answer him Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you and verse 40 I tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Or turn with Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider 
how we may spur one another toward love and good deed. See, temporarily, some of the people in the church went to the refrigeration room, you see. They are somewhat frozen. Not all, but some. And the pastor is saying, get out from there. Stir one another for love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as the custom of some is. Not all, some. But let us encourage one another and all the more you see the day approaching. Again, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here is an apostle. Many people have abandoned him. But there was one who didn't abandon him. His name was Onesiphorus. In chapter 1, 2 Timothy, beginning with verse 16, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped to me in Ephesus. God will not forget the work and the love you have shown in the name of the Lord to his people. And that is evidence that God has saved you. And St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or evil. There is, there is a reward for everything we have done. Oh, not in our ability, but by his grace. But he has decided to reward you for everything. Even a cup of cold water you gave in his name to people. So based on God's nature and their love and work for God done to help the saints, the pastor is convinced that the Hebrew church shall not become apostate, but will experience final and full salvation of the Lord. Let me ask you, how do you know that you are truly saved? Well, the answer is your love for God and your deed for the benefit of God's people. Do you love God? Then you must love his people. Then you must serve his people. Serve them sacrificially. That's the way it was when the church began in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45. Let me read it to you. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possession and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. In this church, nobody starves. In this church, nobody goes without clothing, without housing, without anything. It has been the practice of this church to demonstrate God's life in the soul of man by serving God, by serving people. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all believers were one in heart and, and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 34, 
there were no needy persons among them. We don't need government help. What we need is to church do the work that the church is called to do. There were no needy persons among them for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them. Isn't that amazing? Brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This is the real communism. Finally, the third point, the pastor's final counsel to the people. Pastor is convinced that the house church of the Hebrews is not apostate. He has solid reasons to so conclude. But now he counsels them to deal with their real sluggishness. Their laziness and retardation were real, not imagined. Therefore, the pastor shakes them up that they may shake off their laziness. That's what I do. By the end of the service, all are shook up. <laughs> Not all of them were expressing their love for God by their deed of helping the fellow saints. Some were neglecting even the assembling together of the saints. It has become their habit. They were cold, some of them, toward God and his church. They were tired of persecution. They were tired of being slandered and vilified. They were tired of their properties taken away from them. They were tired of being imprisoned for the gospel. So some of them decided to go home and enjoy themselves. But pastor is the pastor of each saint. Everyone is dear to him. He could not be satisfied with only some loving God. Therefore, he exhorts here each one. We want each of you, verse 11. Each one. You have uh, five children. Uh, do you love each one? Come on, sir. Or just three? Well, that's the idea of a pastor. We want... We intensely yearn, that's the word, each one of you to show the same diligence. We want each one of you inspired by the love of God to work hard in helping the saints. We want each one of you to burn with intense love and work with great industry. And demonstrate that you are on your way to heaven. That you will persevere to the very end. You have fallen from your first love. Come back to first love. First seal and first vigorous activity. Paul says, for Christ's love compels me, impels me, motivates me to do everything I'm doing. Where there is love, there is labor. Where there is faith, there is work. Where there is hope. There is patient endurance. Where there is love, there is faith. Where there is faith, there is hope. This triad of virtue. When the faith sags, hope sags, love sags, and so on. They are interconnected. Faith, love, and hope produce intense spiritual and sacrificial activities in God's church. Proving we are truly born of God and will persevere to the very end. 
each one of you shake off your sluggishness and selfishness show the same diligence which you showed when you first loved God come back to first love stir up your first love make every effort to do so move out of the danger zone of apostasy show evidence of vigorous spiritual life or as Peter would say Make your calling and election sure by adding goodness to faith, knowledge to goodness, self-control to knowledge, perseverance to self-control, godliness to perseverance, brotherly kindness to godliness, and love to brotherly kindness. They showed these things before. Now, come on now. Wake up. Shake off. And produce vigorous Activity of love. See chapter 10 verse 32. Let me read to you. Remember those earlier days. After you had been enlightened. Remember that. It's their history but it is past. But now somehow become sluggish. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the bed. Be set ablaze by the love of God, the cross of Christ, God's Son. Be active, fight the good fight of faith. Each one of you, each one. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, no one of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart. And chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stand, let us be careful that no one of you be found to have fallen short of it, and so on. Pastor desires each one to arrive at the celestial city, not just some. And I think every father, if you love God, every father, every mother will desire every child to arrive in the celestial city, not just two. Unless you do this, you will not enjoy assurance of salvation. See, he is counseling so that they can arrive at, number one, full assurance of salvation. If you are not obedient, you cannot enjoy assurance of salvation. He says, I intensely desire each one of you to demonstrate the same diligence you showed at first. Of suffering persecution, suffering loss of property, standing with the persecuted, seriously helping those in prison and so on. Coming together to worship God and fellowship with God's people, earnestly witnessing to Christ and living a holy life and all that. He's counseling so that what, here it is, in order to make your hope sure, verse 11. That is the proximate purpose. When people obey God in doing his will, they will experience fullness of assurance of salvation. They shall be filled to overflowing with the hope of the glory of God. They look forward to the coming of Christ and their being changed from glory to glory. Those who do not live an obedient life hope only in this world. They will have no assurance of the blessed life awaiting for them in the glory land. Such are deceived by the deceitfulness of riches, pleasures of this life. But they become truly hopeless. 
So pastor counsels each one of you, wake up, shake off spiritual slumber and laziness and retardation. Labor for God fearlessly. That you will be what? Filled with the fullness of hope. The idea here is now you lack this assurance of hope. But you can have it. Wake up! Shake off your laziness. Start loving God. And do his work. You can have this great hope. Until the end. When Christ comes again. You can have it until the end of your life. You can have this fullness of hope. And say with the apostle Paul. To me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To me to depart from this life. Is to be present with Christ. That is the statement of a person. Who is filled with the assurance of his salvation. And he wants every Christian. To enjoy this full assurance of salvation. And let me tell you, every obedient Christian shall enjoy that fullness of assurance of one's eternal salvation. And when you are filled with this assurance of great hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says this hope enables you to purify your life. This hope in you enables you not to put roots down here. You begin to understand we are sojourners like Abraham. And when you are filled with the assurance of this hope, you will rejoice in suffering also. And when you are filled with this assurance of hope, you will fight the good fight. And eagerly wait for the crown of life. St. Paul speaks about our hope is Christ and our hope is God. Paul tells us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was reading the little program for the funeral of an accomplished scientist. Hopeless, 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 hopeless. Without God and without hope in the world. But a Christian is filled to overflowing in the hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That I may live with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. So the pastor intensely desires each one to show the first love through obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That they may attain assurance of hope and enjoy the assurance of hope. Brothers and sisters, our blessed hope is not in President Bush or in this country or in making gold and lots of it. Not, sir, my hope. Is in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and my together with you being caught up with him. To live with him forever and ever. And the final purpose is for the counsel is that the cure of their disease. That you may not be stupid. It says... The cure of their disease of laziness, slowness of mind, retardation, desire to become a child again, a desire to regress and not progress in Christian life. 
a desire to depart and be in the house, forget about Christ and problems. When you listen to this counsel, you will become not lazy, but industrious. And then you will become imitators of those who inherit the promise, inherit the salvation through faith and patience. You will, you see, we need heroes, sir. We need heroes. We don't have any heroes. Our kids don't have any heroes. We don't have any heroes. But we have heroes in the Bible. And a list of them is given in chapter 11. Abraham, who believed God and persevered through all troubles and trials and arrived at the city of God. We have Moses, we have Elijah, we have Elisha. Young people read the Bible and find heroes that you may imitate. And above all, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as his dear children. And then chapter 13 and verse 7, here we are told... Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And what? Imitate their faith. Yeah, find some living heroes like your pastor. Find some heroes like your father, mother. Standing for truth. We need heroes to imitate and follow. So that finally we may experience even now. The promises. Hallelujah. Even now. So not, don't wait until you get to heaven, sir. I, I'm going to give the benediction pretty soon. What is the benediction? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. We are going to experience the fullness of salvation when we get to heaven. But even now, those who are persevering, those who are obedient, those who are loving God are experiencing joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let me ask some questions. Very simple. Are you a person of hope in God and in his son Jesus Christ? If not today and right now, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Isn't that true? I said God is just. God doesn't forget. If you call upon him, he'll save you. Number two, if you are suffering from spiritual lethargy, hear pastor's counsel. Be vigorous, wake up, and do the first work, and give pastor reason to be convinced of your eternal salvation. Number three, pastor doesn't want just some, everyone, to go to heaven with him. Hallelujah. And number four, a final word. This church thrives in the work of faith and in the labor of love and patience of hope. And as your pastor, I sincerely appreciate this irrefutable evidence of your salvation. And may God continue to help each one of us to be fruitful to the end. May we even now overflow with the hope of the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to be filled with the fullness of our hope.
which is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio with a continuing Bible series on the book of Hebrews. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.